テンション。Welcome to the land of long-lived play, where greatness is always waiting. Welcome to a very special episode of the PlayStation Experience. If you don't already know, it's your boy Dat Ninja Dev, and I've got a couple of people along with me for this special episode. First up, we got the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Donnie Reese. How are you today? Greetings, Cooplings. I couldn't be more excited to join you, Devin. And the man always to his right, who keeps this whole thing afloat and working, Mr. Kevin Austin, how are you? I'm doing well. I mean, I you don't need to call it a special episode just because I'm here. I mean, I know I normally don't do PlayStation <laughs> shows that often, but I mean, I it's, I mean, gosh, flattery will get you everywhere, Dev. <laughs> and our special guest, uh, you may know him as the host of the number one PlayStation podcast on the internet, Sacred Symbols. You may know him from Colin's Last Stand. Formerly the senior editor of All Things Playstation at IGN and the kind of funny co-founder, Mr. Colin Moriarty. How are you tonight? Good. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Awesome. We just want to first say that, you know, we're just really excited to have you on here. We have been fans of yours for quite some time from the beyond days, the the kind of funny days, and now Colin's last stand. We're just we're delighted to have you on here as we are just fans of yours. And we appreciate thank you. No, it's very nice of you to say. It's I'm getting old, and <laughs> it's crazy that people have uh, been with us or me this long. And so, yeah, it's great. I noticed that you left a little gap after you said podcast beyond or beyond. Mm-hmm. I, I was... don't know if I'm allowed to say it anymore. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't said beyond in a long time. Yeah, uh, in that, in that, ex- with that excitement. Yeah, I was, I was seeing if either one of my co-hosts were gonna jump in there, but they, they missed the mark because they're not PlayStation people like that. So. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, That's right. true. Well, I, I, it's good that you're here. though. <laughs> I was gonna get in and just say, um, it has been so, so long. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but allow me to say it that you're one of the, the big pillars, big reasons why I ever wanted to get into podcasting. Mm-hmm. I, I have so many fond memories, um, especially with my love of The Last of Us. Listening to your your spoiler cast uh, with Neil back in your IGN days. Uh, I've listened to Elevating Ellie on CLS probably four or five times over already. And uh, like, man, all the way back to like the PSN outage. I remember cracking beers oh, man, and all yeah. like, so I've been with Colin Moriarty for quite some time uh, in the audio wave. So uh, this is a big moment for me. I'm really excited. Thanks for coming. Thank you. No, thanks again for having me. I don't really do guest spots anymore. So it, I'm very very insular these mm-hmm, days mm-hmm. so it's cool to kind of talk to someone that's not chris <laughs> or uh or dagan so yeah uh, thank you again for having me I'm, I'm very glad to be here excellent and we hope you have as much fun as we are right now so let's just get right into some stuff y- you got a game coming out i believe the, the the pre-orders for the physical version just went live today so you've got you've got twin you've got twin breaker a sacred symbols adventure it's it's dropping real soon um so You've been on the other side of of games, the journalist side for so long. What is it like to be on the other side? It's interesting. Yeah, Twin Breaker comes out March 24th. The yeah, the pre-orders are up now for the physical version and we're thrilled we're the best-selling game today on PlayAsia, which is really awesome. cool. 
And actually, number one and number two, I think number one is the PS4 version. Number two is the Vita version. So that's pretty cool. Uh, it's weird. It's weird being on the other side. It's nerve wracking. I'm putting out something with Barry, the guy who actually designed the game uh, at Lilymo. And we, I actually saw the other day that our Metacritic page went up. And that was kind of an eye opening thing for us because I'm like, wow, now I'm going to, you know, I've <laughs> spent all of these years reviewing games and being critical and sometimes being a little mean and not so much these days. I think I've kind of grown out of the more harsh criticism that I used to give games, but I'll be really interested to see what people think of it. I, I, I think I'm biased. I wrote it, <laughs> right. but I think it's a really, I think it's a really great game. I'm really excited to see what people think. It's really designed to just be something bite-sized that you play for a couple days and you can go for S ranks and high scores and find the collectibles and get the platinum trophy and all of that. But it's just a game that's meant to accompany you. It's not a meant to a game that we all have these games that dominate our lives. I just platinum dragon quest 11. It took me Oof, 97 oh. hours. Oof. And, uh, it was, I mean, that's a job basically. And I don't want to make a game like that right now. We'll do that later maybe, but make a, a bigger game. But yeah, it's really exciting and it's weird. It, it gives you a lot of setting our game through QA and dealing with a publisher and all of that. It, it gives me a, definitely a, a greater, I already appreciated development, but a greater appreciation and reading the script 5,000 times and rewriting <laughs> it like the last second <laughs> and having everyone mad at me because they have to make new art. And it's like a really interesting thing. And then hoping that there's no spelling errors and that the trophy list is perfect and all that is it's it's cool i'm really excited to do it and barry and i are going to keep working together we already have several more ideas nice. in the hopper oh, nice. and i'm already writing the second game so oh, we are really excited to explore other genres and keep making these old school more bite-sized games for people that you want to play in between your dooms and your final fantasy sevens and all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. That's, that's great. Uh, so where did the idea come from? Like why a brick breaker game? How is it different than our traditional old school brick breakers? I mean, I'm an OG gamer, so a brick breaker game, like, man, I haven't seen one of those in a long time. So I'm excited for this personally. So why, where did the idea come from and why a brick breaker game? Yeah. So Barry and I have known each other for quite some time. Actually, he lives in Ontario in Canada and he had actually approached me with several different ideas. One of them actually was a brawler. And that was a game that we were actually going to make first. And I don't think we're going to make it anymore. We're not, we're, we're going to at least put it on the shelf now. But uh, we were thinking about doing that. And then he had sent me this demo, just this, this thing in Game Maker that was a brick breaker. And he knows that I, and a lot of the audience that has been with me for a long time probably knows I'm a, I'm a really big fan of that genre. Arkanoid and Breakout and Shatter on PS3 was a, really seminal PSN game, one of the first great digital games on PlayStation. And I just feel like it was a genre. It's a, it's just a fun genre. I don't feel like it's a genre that is oft explored these days. And I've never played one that has a story in yeah. it. And so we had this idea to give the game context and to see if that would work. So you have these 40 stages that look like Arkanoid, but there are cutscenes, and Ooh. there's like a really long intro, like that's like five minutes long. And there are 40 collectibles with all of this backstory in it and stuff like that. And we just want to see if we could give context to the events of a game like that, because I don't know that that's ever really been done, at least not that I'm aware of. And I, I like me too type games, right? Like I like, I would make a Mega Man game in two seconds if I knew how to do that. But right. I feel like, it, it's cool to make a game that really has no corollary. And 
that will hopefully revive a genre that's kind of dormant. And at least for us anyway. And we wanted to make it really affordable. It's only 10 bucks. So I was going to say thanks uh, for including the uh, shipping on the uh, Play Asia side. As I was like 34. Oh, man, if they're going to charge me 15 for shipping, I don't think I'm going to get it. But it was like free shipping right out the gate. I was like, oh, I'm good. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. We're thrilled about that. I mean, we originally were going to cap it at a thousand copies per platform. And the audience was actually pretty mad about this. I I didn't. I didn't yeah. really know why, because I didn't really know that there was this much demand, but it's cool. We lifted it. We, I think we're one of the only games that they've really run uh, at East Asia Soft that had no limit. So there's just, we'll basically manufacture as many as we get pre-orders for in the next two That's weeks, awesome. and then we'll segue over to digital. So yeah, we're good. We're in good shape. Very cool. Very cool. Exciting. Yeah, it's it's, it's nerve wracking. Maybe people are going to hate it. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I think it's... I think it's fun at the very least. Like, and the cool thing about the story is you can just skip all of it. You don't really need to even pay attention to it if you don't want. So you can just play a good brick breaker and the mechanic is different. Twin breaker is just a different game. There are two paddles instead of one. And otherwise it's a pretty familiar game and it will not take very long to beat. And we really don't again, want to dominate your time. There are, there are games that are worthy of dominating your time and this isn't one of them. So, wow. So, I mean, you're writing the story. So what can like the diehard Sacred Symbols fans expect from the narrative or there be like any like uh, Easter eggs or anything in there? Yeah, there's a few Easter eggs. First, the characters, the main characters are Chris and I. Mm-hmm. And it's not really important that you're a fan of the show. Uh, we just wanted to reference it a little bit. And the story itself has nothing to do with the show and nothing to do with PlayStation. We just wanted to kind of tie in something and do something fun for our audience that has nothing to do with uh, with anything. So it's just a game that takes place in the 2300s and it's about um, it's about first contact and first contact with aliens and generation ships and all of that. And we hope that people dig it when it comes out. Uh, I don't want to spoil it too much. Maybe maybe there are no such thing as uh, spoilers. By the way, you can hear the train I'm living next to right now. That's coming through. It sounds like the fucking phantom train from Final Fantasy six. Um so yeah, that's basically it. And we're really we're really stoked about it. And there's just narrative here if people want it, but it's it's not an important part of the game if you just want to play it for fun and chase scores and stuff like that. Awesome. That's super cool. So, is there going to be like maybe a Switch release by any chance? Yeah, we we want to release it. I mean, ultimately we want to release it everywhere. We just have no concrete plans to do that right now. Uh, if it were, uh, well, it is up to me. It's my game, so I guess I, I can't say if it were up to me. It is up to me. I think we'll we'll get it out on Switch and Xbox One and PC in the next year or so. But we're, we we want to do it on PS4 and Vita first, just for our audience, because those are the platforms that they're on. And we definitely wanted to do a physical Vita game, so we wanted to make sure to get that done before our opportunity to do that was gone. But I would assume that all future games we do will be released w- wider than this uh, more quickly. Very cool. Very, very cool. I mean, I know that that's a... Uh, I'm glad because Vita lives, you know? So I'm excited to have that, and I'm excited that you're going to, you know, possibly expand later on. That's really cool. Yeah, we're, we want to be agnostic. I mean, that's just smart business. Sony's not obviously paying us to, to do this. We just wanted to... We wanted to treat the audience on Sacred Symbols with this game first and then expand from there. And yeah, I mean, I think Switch is a cool machine. I'd love to have the game on Switch eventually and, and on Steam and all of that. But we have to figure that out. Like once the game comes out and we see what people think and if we have to fix anything and maybe we even add to the game a little bit and we I, we want to do a sequel too. So the the story kind of ends on a cliffhanger. So um, so I'd like to do another one as well. And we'd like to turn it around quick, you know, maybe within the next year or not even. So 
we'd like to get these games out and just again fill that void on the platforms and there's a lot of digital games out there but i think a lot of them are not getting a lot of attention and we're happy to fill that void as best we can so we had a little bit of playstation news dropping since you are like the playstation man we thought we'd ask you how you felt about it what you what you thought so we had the last of us tv show is is actually going to come to fruition on hbo um it's going to be Neil Druckmann is going to be the executive producer. Um, he's also going to be involved to write and help produce alongside, I guess, Craig Motson, the director, the director of 2019's Chernobyl, which was awesome. Um, what do you think about that? Are you excited for this coming to HBO, or is it something you've been you've, you've looked into? I know Last of Us was a, like one of your favorites. So, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, I think it's cool. I like uh, that Matson's involved because Chernobyl is great, and it's it, his, his career is interesting because he was like a almost schlock horror writer for a little while and then he just started writing this more serious stuff and it's it's turned out really good and neil's a friend of mine it's it's cool to see him get involved i know naughty dog's not thrilled about the uncharted movie mm-hmm. and so i think him being involved not only as vp of the studio but that's kind of like his the last of us is his baby yeah so to have him involved I, I think gives me a lot of confidence in it i just and i've talked about this on sacred symbols i'm just not crazy about this crossover stuff between games and other entertainment. Mm-hmm. I just feel like games are a superior form of entertainment in terms of the interactivity and all of this. And I don't think we really need to have this sort of constant synthesis and with all of these other mediums. I think it's cool. I think with the success of The Witcher on Netflix, you're going to see much more of this moving Absolutely. forward. And that's that's fine. Chase the money. And, and I'm in the minority. I mean, people do want this stuff, but I just I don't see the point really when the last of us is this immersive game that you play and you sit with and you interact with for 15 or 20 hours, they're not going to be able to replicate that on a television screen, but maybe I'll be surprised. I just, I don't get, I don't get super excited about this stuff. Just like I'm not excited at all about the uncharted movie. And I'm not excited at all about some of the, even cuphead coming to Netflix and stuff. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't need this. It, it, it kind of, um, it reduces the the resonance of the IP, but I think it could work in the reserve in the reverse rather, where they are able to get the casual HBO fan or whatever interested in this IP, and then they go play games. So there's it's a it's a no lose situation for Sony, especially with PlayStation Productions, and mm-hmm. they're doing this with Twisted Metal too. I don't think they've oh, talked wow. about it too much recently, but I was reading this uh, not too long ago. I mean, it's out there, but that PlayStation Productions wants to do a Twisted Metal TV show. Oh my god! So. <laughs> I think this would I see I personally think this stuff would be most valuable as a PS plus thing, much like that show Powers, Powers exactly, back in the day. Yeah. Um I, I feel like that would be really valuable, but I don't know that there's any money to be made there. They already have thirty five million people on PS plus. I don't know that you're gonna get many more. Yeah. The hardcore fans are already there. So yeah, go get HBO's money and make these make this T V show and we'll see where it goes, but I hope it's at least a limited engagement so they can tell the story that they want to tell. Exactly. Man, I completely side with you there like I prefer to play video games as my entertainment. And we were having that discussion in our discord about like it becoming a TV show. And I was like, if it's like an eight episode, one hour, each episode type thing, then I think that's perfect. Like I don't want it to be this overarching, long winded, continually going show. I think it should be nice and concise. And again, like you said, like last of us was pretty much perfect in its storytelling and its beats and everything. And if you can't land that, you're probably going to turn off the people who are faithful to The Last of Us, who are like expecting The Last of Us. 
And if you kind of mess that up or don't get it, you're kind of going to turn those people off. But then you have the flip side where if it is good, you're going to get that casual HBO viewer who's going to probably want to then play the game. Yeah, I, I don't think that they can lose from that particular angle. I do wonder if they can do the casting right. Mm-hmm. I think the casting in the Uncharted movie is really weird, personally. Uh, yeah. And I hope they don't do weird shit with this. But we'll see how it goes. And it would also, I, I, as far as I understand, they want to do the retelling of Joel and Ellie and their story. And that that's cool. But those characters already exist. I, I do feel like it would have been a better idea to explore something else in this world mm-hmm. because it's so interesting. I mean, the world is so fascinating. And we also didn't really see very much of the world for the first 20 years. It was like that. So there's there's more to tell, even from Joel's point of view, directly after the fall it would have been pretty cool to explore. But I mean, I'm not Neil Druckmann. I'm never going to second guess him. He's one of the smartest and keenest writers I've ever met. And, you know, spending time with him and eating lunch and dinner with him and picking his brain and doing all those kinds of things, you realize he's just one of those creative forces that you don't really uh, question and you let him spread his wings. And if this is what he wants to do, I mean, his work basically is done on The Last of Us Part Two, So it's probably time for him to start thinking about something else. And I don't think we're going to get another game out of the series. So yeah, maybe this is the way that they continue it. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I know that they're also talking about possibly having some additional content based on the sequel as well. So it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. I'm I'm here for it. I'm excited to see it. Um, I have zero expectations though. Yeah. <laughs> so if it's not super great, I'm not I'm not you know we're too worried about it. Yeah, I'm. Sm- I think that's smart. I mean, I keep my expectations low for pretty much everything. I- yeah. I'm not even smart. Like w- with <laughs> Final Fantasy VII remake, Oof. that demo is making the rounds. I haven't played it. I'm not going to play it until it comes out. But. I don't even watch the trailers or anything. I'm actually a little upset about some of the stories people are writing and spoiling shit in the game. And I know that's weird for a game that's 23 years old, but there was one thing in particular people are spoiling uh, about Red 13 that I, yep. I thought was yeah. really obnoxious. Um, and uh, But people are like upset about it. And I'm like, I don't have any expectations. So I have nothing to be upset about. <laughs> right. I thought this was going to be bad from the beginning. So if it's, <laughs> if it's anything better than... Be- it looks great. I think it looks awesome. But if it's not, people getting too invested in... in worrying about this stuff and i just can't relate i agree because i'd i'd much rather be surprised yep. Same than, i'm with you then then have my hopes up and then re- you know my hopes ruined because something didn't meet my expectations i'm even trying to temper my expectations for the last of us part two although i mean i, I bet you it's going to be amazing yeah we'll see yeah how it goes I, want, I wanted to interject about the last of us part two as it relates to this tv series you you, you kind of said the magic word you expect this to be the last game that, that was actually the question i wanted to ask you is do you think this will be the end of the Joel and Ellie journey? And do you think that this franchise that had such a, a tremendous launch in terms of a new IP and has so much fervor for this follow-up sequel and now has an HBO series coming, do you think that they'll just stop it? Like they'll just, this is the end? Or do you think Naughty Dog, um, you think Neil has that kind of, like if this is the end that he wants to tell that they can do this? Or do you think this is like an Uncharted situation where they might be, you know, kind of, asked to keep it going a little bit longer uh yeah i don't so i know that when the last of us came out they were surprised by how well it did and i don't think that they really wanted to make another one and i think that they had to kind of think about how they were going to do it i think taking naughty dog off of uncharted was an opportunity cost and so too with the last of us but by doing that you allow them to with Evan Wells and all those guys to really worry and focus on something else. That's why it was always obvious Uncharted wasn't going to end, for instance. Like that was they were always full of shit about that. Uncharted's being made in that's in that studio in San Diego that they're 
they're creating. And that's a pretty open secret at this point. And they're hiring for that game. And so they might be able to do a similar sort of thing with The Last of Us if Neil's willing to let it go. The difference is, is that Amy is gone. So they had no one to really tether that game to Naughty Dog anymore. And they, Neil's not going anywhere. He was promoted. So that's it's a little bit of a different situation with The Last of Us. But I would rather them do too little than too much. And so I feel like they need to figure out a way to exit this series before they ruin it because a lot of stuff gets ruined by staying around too much. And even if they revisited it later, even if Naughty Dog went and made another game and then came back later on the, on a different console, even on PS six or whatever it would be, that would be cool. So yeah, it's tough. I mean, financially, I'm sure they want to want to sell more of these games, but I also think that you have to let Naughty Dog create other stuff and you can't really do both. Not with the way that they've structured their, their team. A lot of people will recall that they split their team up, and then they actually put them back together because it wasn't working. And, uh, you know, you got Uncharted 3 and The Last of Us out of that split, which was, and I think Uncharted 3 is an awesome game too. But Uncharted 4 was really tortured. And this game has was already delayed. So they're better working in a pyramid-like structure, a top-down top structure. Um, they also don't use producers there. So it's hard to stay organized over multiple over multiple projects. So it would be cool to see them do more Last of Us, but I think that we would we might be sorry that we asked them to stay with that series, not only because of what might come out of it if they start going downhill, but also because we don't know what else they're capable of doing, and you have to let them figure that out. I would much rather see a new IP out of them after this. Yeah. Makes a whole lot of good sense. Uh, the other news that came out today was Ghost of Tsushima, the next PS4 exclusive from Sucker Punch, got a launch date June 26th, the month mm-hmm. right after The Last of Us. So back-to-back months here um, in a game with an extensive story trailer where we got to uh, meet more of Jin and uh, his uncle Shimura and uh, our antagonist, Kotun Khan. And uh, they also announced on the PlayStation blog um, a digital, a special, and a collector's edition, which will feature a Sekai mask, a banner, director's commentary, a steel book, and a lot of art book, and a lot, a lot of other stuff here. Um, just my general impressions... I thought the trailer, as I've always thought, this goes back to when we watched E3 together, gentlemen, like that trailer, like mm-hmm. this game looks incredible. Like just mm-hmm. the visuals has this very epic contrast art style. Like it kind of makes me think of 300 in a way, the way that they sure. kind of yeah. use like the dark contrasting with the light stuff. And I'm really excited to see it. Uh, I think we can take the expectation because it's Sucker Punch and Infamous that we kind of know what we're getting. But the the one thing that I'm, I'm starting, because we're so close now, I mean, now we're just a few months right. away from it releasing. We haven't seen like any extended gameplay of this game. So I don't know, like, I mean, I think it's open world and I think you run around and you would, you know, you attack, you would attack bases and, and do missions and stuff kind of a la Assassin's Creed or something. Like that's my impression when I think of a Sucker Punch game, but we haven't really seen that. We don't know like the moment to moment gameplay. We don't know, like, could it be mission or like chapter based? Could it be like set up, you know, like, in like these linear arcs, um, we see a lot of behind the back, like uh, action camera type set shots that look amazing. So uh, I just wanted to turn the direction to you, Colin, and ask you, what, do you, what did you think of one today's story trailer? But what do you think of this game overall? Like, what, what are your expectations for Ghost of Tsushima? Yeah, I didn't watch the trailer. I don't want to see any more of the game. And I'm really I'm that way with like almost every game. Once it's introduced, I, I really don't want to see any more. Um, but I I think the date's weird, and I think that 
you can read a little bit into it, perhaps, that they're not trying to let it breathe. Um, I'm not sure that this is going to be as great as people think it's going to be. Mm. And um, I don't know why you would release it a month after The Last of Us Part Two, unless you wanted The Last of Us to overshadow it a little bit. Is he trying to maybe confident in one? get it as far away from the PS5 launch as you can? It's possible, but we don't know. I mean, that's, that makes sense. I thought the game was going to come out in August. So, I, I mean, so did I. we knew it was going to be summer. You do want to give it a little bit of room to breathe. They could have an idea of having a really nice upscale patch for PS5 that they want to remarket as part of a launch product for the game, especially if they don't have anything else ready to go, which I think they will. I think they'll be like Ratchet and Clank ready and maybe Horizon 2 or something like that. But I, I look at the game. First of all, I mean, it's a cool idea. I love it. I, I also love the idea or how Sucker Punch came out immediately and was like, it's not historically accurate. Here are all the problems with it. I like that they nipped that in the bud. And Absolutely. they also talked about how they're white dudes in Seattle making a game about Japan. Not that I think that that's necessary, but <laughs> you know, they, they really came out and covered their bases, which I respect from a marketing point of view. But I can't help but look at the release date and think that they're not now Sony's not that confident in this game. I don't know how else you could read into it. The only thing that's positive, I guess, about it is that we know that The Last of Us Part Two will not have its multiplayer mode immediately. That will be released much later as a standalone game. And so there's no, there's nothing tethering you to that game for a long period of time. So it is maybe safe getting this game out the door. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that it's probably going to be good to great. I'm sure if you want to look at it from like a Metacritic or through a Metacritic lens, but. I don't know. I, I I was really surprised by that date. I would have never guessed it was going to come out in June. I, now, it's also possible that they were ar- already aiming for that date and The Last of Us was delayed into this month, into May. That's so. a good point. Yeah. But even then, like you move stuff around, you have to manage your catalog better than that. So I, I think even if, see, here's the problem. If Ghost of Tsushima is really good, then this is a really woeful mismanagement of their catalog. Yeah. And if it's not good, then. I feel like that's the only way it would make sense to release it here. But I think it's going to be... I mean, Sucker Punch has never made a bad game. And I don't think they're going to start now. Yeah. But I don't... I don't. I, I just don't know how... I can't look at this date and, and be anything but a little befuddled by it. Yeah. And yeah, it could, it could give them... It could be designed to give them room from from ps5 but you have to remember too like predator hunting grounds is coming out in that period yeah, that's right in april and there's gonna be a few other things so i i, I just don't i don't know do you think I, it's I don't also it. a little odd that it was just dropped out of nowhere not like part of a state of play or anything like that it was just like boom out of nowhere yeah and on the same day that they announced that they were going to do the last of us tv show i mean this, yeah. this isn't this isn't really a good sign i, I don't know how Anyone could look at this with just like taking it holistically and be like, mm, you know, we're announcing this on a Thursday. We're announcing it the same day that we're announcing a major HBO initiative with our PlayStation Productions team. And it's coming out a month after arguably the biggest PlayStation exclusive of the last seven years. I don't think that's great. I don't think those are great signs. If I were at Sucker Punch, I'd be pretty pissed. Yeah. It, but they obviously don't. They obviously don't have money. You know, I mean, a lot of people don't have a lot of money to buy all these games, too. I mean, mm-hmm. and you're going to spend your money on The Last of Us. Yep. So I don't I don't know. I I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to be wrong. I can't wait to play it. Yeah, it's but, it's crazy. You got to look at it. It's like, man, they've been cooking this game for a long time, too, because they they were radio silent since Infamous, like First Light, which was 2014. And now this is coming out six years later. It's like, man, I get that they have to get it out of the way and get it moving on. And I'm wondering, is it, do they have something else in the hopper? Are they looking at PS5 launch and do we see like a Sly Cooper? So they're like, well, there's no need to hold on to ghosts. 
let's move and bring something for launch of PS5 because I think that's a, like you said, Ratchet and Clank, those are easy titles to get out for a launch that might get some people hyped. So I'm wondering, I'm in the same camp as you, is I don't know, I'm confused. I don't understand why. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what the PS5 launch library is going to, or even launch lineup's going to look like either. I mean, it's funny you bring up Infamous because First Light, yeah, it did come out uh, in 2014 and and Second Sun was supposed to be a launch game, but it came out in early yep. 2014. So they're getting games out around the same period of time in the launch cycle. If you look at, ahead of PS5, yep. the only thing I can think of is that with this whole, what are they calling it? Smart delivery yeah. on Xbox, which yep. is yeah. just stupid, stupid marketing gimmick. Yep. Yeah. Because it's really just saying like we have patches. Exactly. Like our, <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, cool. We have a patch. Um, but maybe they're going to plan on doing something with Last of Us and with Ghost of Tsushima and even with Dreams that yeah. they can repackage. But the launch library on PS5 should be something cool. It, it, it might be something like Ratchet and Clank, Demon Souls, and Horizon 2 or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, we don't really know. In, in which case, you don't really need this game. And I, 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 <laughs> it's confusing. I was When I woke up this morning, I was really quite confused, especially <laughs> taking that, coupling it with the HBO news. Because it's not like someone just broke that news out of nowhere. Like, they interviewed... Neil Druckmann, yeah, it was all prepared. they interviewed Sony. Yeah, it was a prepared thing that was embargoed. So it's possible that one hand didn't know what the other hand's doing. That's possible. But and, and actually, I mean, it's more than possible because I've worked with Sony so much that it's you might even say that's likely, mm. you know, in terms of them not being able to really manage all the PR and just really being insular and having these random verticals. PlayStation Productions, though, should know what first party is doing. So I you know take for take from that what you will, but I think you guys know that that's not probably a great great sign. You you touched for, a little bit for Ghost of on the smart delivery, and we we had we had, we had a question. We're going to talk to you a little bit about next gen, but since you brought it up, I wanted to ask you: Is the expectation that PlayStation Five will do the same? Do you think we'll just get day and date patches and improvements on the entire back catalog, or are we expecting um, you know Last of Us Part Two remastered and Ghost of Tsushima remastered and Dreams remastered like retail releases? No, I don't. I don't think there's any way they can get away with that. I think they would love to get away with that. Yeah, but there's no way they can do that because even now, there's a lot of weird verbiage on the Japanese websites for PS5. Where and Chris and I have talked about this on the show. Where I'm not entirely convinced PS5 is going to be totally backwards compatible with Mm -hmm. PS4 because they're they're wording shit really weird. If you see, like they're basically saying like we're aiming to get everything working, so they're not they haven't gotten it all working yet, which is unbelievable. And so I think that. While they would love to sell you Ghost of Tsushima again or Dreams, I don't think I, they would love to sell you Dreams the first time. I think that <laughs> they don't really have a way to do that. I think that the backwards compatibility has basically forced them into a situation where the games are just going to, at the very least, be playable and and at the very worst, have some sort of patch. But even if they try to charge for like a a resolution patch or a frame rate patch, they're, they're going to get massacred. And I already have a bad feeling about all this shit with ps5 so i think they have to be really careful with pricing and with the way they structure uh this moving forward now they can come out one day i always expect to we say this over and over again on sacred symbols one day we're going to wake up and the shit's all going to be out there and then we'll know and we'll learn quickly how they're going to structure all of this but i think they have to be consumer friendly and consumer focused which is exactly the reason why they won this this generation so overwhelmingly if they get away from that xbox phil spencer's no fool and the Xbox looks great. And so they need to be really, really careful or they're going to lose. The, the gaming industry is fickle. PlayStation has done really well since it launched in 94 and in the 95 in the West. But 
there have been moments of staunch competition, whether from the 360 or whether from the Wii. They can't get complacent. And so anything they can do to be consumer friendly is going to be smart. And if you own Ghost of Tsushima on PS4, you better be able to play yeah. it on Absolutely. PS5 without without paying more money. Do you think the silence from them right now is is partly complacency or is it just typical Sony, you know, lack of PR? Like they just can't ever seem to promote stuff the right way a lot of the times. I don't know. I I feel like there's a decent I've been talking to a guy that works out of China um with hardware manufacturing, not with Sony, but just stuff that is related to Foxconn and other stuff and they're having a lot of problems over there. Hmm. And people are are trying to i was just talking to him today actually he messaged me and he was saying that like people are different manufacturers are really like trying to get their shit out of china as quickly as possible getting it to malaysia vietnam and stuff like that and those limited those those factory opportunities are finite there and i think that it's entirely possible playstation 5 is not even going to come out this year so i think that at, at the at the very least if this i actually i'm one of the people that thinks coronavirus is overblown now people can Come and remind me if we all die of like a pandemic <laughs> in a few months. No, we can't remind you if we all but, die, but yeah. That's true. Well, remind me in heaven. I yeah. work in emergency management and I'm doing all these conference calls quite a bit. I am very fond of, very aware of the numbers. I think you're you're taking an apropos approach based on the numbers we have so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it, it doesn't... I mean, I never leave the house, so I'm not going to die of coronavirus. But, <laughs> but the... Uh, the reality is, from what I am understanding out of there, is that like container ships are leaving China empty. These places aren't able to get their workforces to the factories. There's rampant competition, which was a story written on Bloomberg for some of these existing components. They're sharing components across smartphones yep. now mm-hmm. and higher-end computers. Yep. So it's driving costs up. And so all of these things are happening where I, first of all, don't think PS5 needs to come out this fall. And I also think that they might be smart to wait this out and see if they can get costs down so they can have an appropriate price for the new console, which I think will be $499. I think that's fairly obvious. I don't think they can go any higher than that. And I don't think it's going to be any lower than that. And then also, they might have been leaving them, themselves room intentionally or unintentionally to maybe get out of launching the console this year. Because I think at the very least, we might have some sort of forced supply constraint based on mm-hmm. what's going on in China. So even if you launch the console, you might not be able to satiate demand. And that might be even worse So than not releasing it at all because you only get one chance to launch your console. So if you have a demand of 10 or 15 million in a quarter and you can only satiate seven and a half million, you're never going to get that hype back again. People are going to move on. And so it might be better to wait until February or March. But that's like a kind of a that's a worst case scenario thing. I mean, they might we might wake up tomorrow and they might have the announcement ready to go. But I don't think it's I don't think it's a coincidence that we haven't heard anything yet because I don't think that they probably know. I mean, even if you read that Bloomberg story, there's like a civil war going on internally about how much they should even charge. Yeah. This this is the kind of stuff that should be settled. They should have manufactured all of these parts already. Consoles should be entering manufacture in the spring and in the summer. They should be done. By July or August, the first run should be ready to go. They're not manufacturing these things in October. They're done by then. You'll remember that the PS3 Slim leaked in a in a Singaporean or Malaysian market like five months before yeah. it was even announced. Yeah. You know these things are these things are done and just sitting there. And so Didn't the Switch they don't even do know the what the same tr- thing. Like we all the Switch Lite cases yeah. like six months ahead of time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so th- that they don't even know what to charge for it yet is not a good sign that they're even on pace to get this thing out of the door but i don't know i mean it's all conjecture because 
people are on even people that I really know will talk to me about stuff are unusually tight lipped. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they don't even know. It's uncertain. So yeah. And that's even crazier that they're that they're pushing these games out now then if they're not gonna have anything for the rest of the year other than third yeah. party. Because it's it's Last of Us Two, it's Ghosts, and that's it. We is that really else. any different than the past couple of years? Like I was just about to say, it's not 2013 that's anymore. True. Like we've seen this trend for a while now, where not just the publishers, like the big three and the hardware makers, but a lot of folks are I want to say abandoning fall, but they're 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 looking towards January, March, April as as more lucrative times to release. I mean, even Nintendo, like you can release hardware in the spring and still be successful it's not a, a mandate it's funny that you you brought that up colin because at no point in this entire next gen run i've been kind of in that condition mindset that we will release two new consoles in november uh-huh. before yep. black friday and we will yep, all go buy exactly. them but no i mean like the switch did prove that like, that doesn't nec- that doesn't need to happen it if they want to delay a month or two i mean i don't think folks would like hearing that but i don't think that i mean i don't think that would be an issue it'd be more than we're hearing now that's true. Yeah. Also remember that with the exception of Spider-Man in 2018, Sony's really not been releasing first party games in Q3 or Q4. Yeah. All right. And like they released until dawn, like in late summer and like they, they did stuff like that. But I think that they were wise to the fact that because you guys remember during the PS3 era, they released all sorts of fall games that yeah. just didn't go didn't anywhere. Better, yeah. Sold like one million copies or whatever. Starhawk and PS All Stars <sighs> and Starhawk, Twisted Metal. And, wow. These these random games that came out, and I think they looked at it and were like, "Well, why would we even bother competing with Call of Duty and Madden and NBA 2K? We don't really need to release anything in 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 this kind of sequence." And I also feel like maybe the Ghost of Tsushima date has to do with something with their fiscal year as well. That would be the end of their first quarter. Yeah, that's true. Although I I don't know that that has anything to do with it either because that only gives it a few days to burn. So. I don't know. We ha- we have to see. And also games that look like surefire critical successes like Control. Again, that game didn't have a lot of push behind it because it was published by a mid-tier publisher. 505 was very lucky to get that game, but that game didn't sell well at all. I mean, Man of Madon sold yeah. like twice as well as that game. So you just don't know like what the market is, how the market's going to react. But I-, I feel like them not releasing first party games is smart. I think th- in-, in that... F- fall sequence i just think that the only thing that's really troublesome about the games not being ready is that this has a cascading effect for third-party partners that have games ready to go and it could be that microsoft's already kind of wiggled out of this because they they already announced that for 12 to 18 months they won't have any first-party exclusives on xbox series x which sounded dubious to me at first and now it seems brilliant because if the consoles get delayed it's not going to hurt their pipeline but if horizon 2 is a ps5 game that's going to screw Gorilla, and that could actually really hurt them, um, like fundamentally. So I don't know. I think that's they. That's like the other side of the coin. Where if you like just look at it analytically, it might be smart for them to get the console out no matter what, just to satiate the Ubisofts of the world that are clearly trying to release five games on the console in like four months, and and others. We just don't know how it's all going to shake out. But this coronavirus thing has just not because of the nature of the pandemic or the the disease, you know, the virus or whatever, but just because of where it is and how it's affecting manufacturing in a very specific country is screwing everything up. And if I were at one of these places, I'd be freaking out because you're a publicly traded company. You're, you're going to rely on this. I mean, Sony is going to be, Sony's really relying on PlayStation and could really hurt them if they don't get the console out on time. But again, like I said, there's this downside of rushing it too. So 
we'll see. But this might all be outdated. I, I'm always expecting to be outdated whenever we talk about PS5 because we just, again, <laughs> we just don't know when this is going to happen. But every rumor, by the way, that comes out about this console is wrong yeah, in terms right. of not only some of the things I know, but also most of the stuff where I'm, you know, it's like they're going to uh, reveal the event next week and they're going to do It's like it never <laughs> happens. It just never happens. That's true. And I don't know what they're waiting for. P- uh, Xbox One was revealed in May in 2013 that wasn't the reason the console bombed it was the way they revealed yeah. it so that so the timing wasn't really the problem no. there so maybe they want to do it in may we'll see yeah. That's fair. with um with their continued absence at e3 you know obviously we talk about they don't really have any first party title games to talk about or promote do you think e3 is even really necessary anymore especially you know the whole coronavirus lots of game conferences and conferences just in general being canceled i know they're reevaluating now e3 a little bit too we're hearing those scary things coming up like does it matter anymore? Does E3 matter anymore overall? Your thoughts? No, I don't. I, I've been saying this for a couple of years. People have gotten really mad at me about it, too. Like, really upset. <laughs> it's me. You just one, made uh, Donnie very I'm, sad. I'm one of these people. Yeah, it's. I, I think E3 is just a relic. And there you can tell that that's true because not only are companies bailing out of it before the coronavirus thing yeah. happened, Sony was already out. They gave up their floor space, which is something that they have to retain usually for years at a time in order to get that prime floor space. So they were ready to get rid of that and not worry about the future. But um, that the ESA is changing it more into away from a trade show and a more in a consumer show shows you that it's just waning in it's if not popularity, just importance. This I, my first E three that I went to was in two thousand four. The last one I went to was in two thousand and seventeen, and. You can, st- I mean, there are night and day shows just in terms of floor space, in terms of attendance of trade representatives and the media and the press. It seems like people are kind of just trying to go to see, you know, wait in line to play a few games that not really see the kind of the forest for the trees at this, yep. at the, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, oh, cool, like Zelda's here or whatever. And they're like, yeah, it's great. But if you just go to West Hall, you realize that it's like half empty. You're just too busy waiting online to play the Switch game, which is fine. But Usually it's not quite like this. And so you could see the writing on the wall for it. So I don't know. I think the future in these shows like Gamescom, which is a fucking nightmare to go to, but it's they they have they have the right idea. It's like you want to have a show that in, that really puts trade and media second and puts the consumer first. And that's what they're trying to do with E3. But I just think it's too late. And the ESA can't survive. I don't think the ESA can really survive even the cancellation of E3 this year because they rec- about half of their revenue comes from E3. The other half comes from about 48 of their representatives that they or re- the companies that they represent in Washington. So 50% loss of your revenue would be really catastrophic. I, I, and they might, you know, I'm sorry. No, I, want, I, want, I wanted to, since I had the opportunity to ask you, I've, I've been having this kind of debate within our, amongst our own team for quite a while now. Uh, and, it, and it's it's merely out of love for what E3 did for, for us as fans. <laughs> it's not for the ESA's importance and the, the importance of these people getting together and getting games to retailers and all that. Like, I understand, like, that's basically archaic and outdated. Do you think that... Let's just say if they if they delayed, postponed, canceled E3, like if E3, as we know and existed as a physical space, went away, do you think the publishers and these companies and these developers getting together and kind of doing a organized digital event? I, I The point I'm ultimately trying to make is I still feel like there's a lot of value in these companies partnering up together and sharing news at the same time. So they all kind of reverberate each other's messages as opposed to 
like the Call of Duty thing where every game has its own day just spaced throughout the the the, the year because there's no there's no like bigger gathering there's no collective i feel like e3 brings in a lot more of attention because it's not just one game taking the spotlight that day there's lots of games so you're getting a lot of attention from different genres of game players as well as you know like the the broader media because it's making so much news and there's so many like headlines coming out of it do you think that's just old way of thinking or do you think that still has value to, to publishers that are trying to get you know their game get some some eyes on their game and have some market appeal i don't know i, I think nintendo has shown that it probably has no real resonance i mean I, I look at nintendo direct as something that's pretty brilliant and they don't really they announce these things sometimes ahead of time sometimes they announce it really close to the vast end it always seems to be like the talk of the town, right? Regard, it's not like E3 level talk, but it's always trending on Twitter and trending on Facebook and people are, are talking about it. And I don't, I just don't know why if you had to choose between sharing a stage with your competitors or doing something on your own, why you wouldn't just want to do something on your own and have something where it's, it's just, I feel like it's all upside, right? Like you don't have to pay for a space. You don't have to put your people up in hotels and make them travel all over the world. You don't have to subject them to make demos and and cut these vertical slices out of games. Sure. And you can have a really beautifully marketed video that's 10 minutes long that they like really scour and there's no problems there. I just I I can see both arguments, but if I were Sony, I'd be like, "Well, fuck this. We don't need to do this anymore." So if I mean, if I if I could re- if I could rebuttal, <laughs> do you I guess let me let me try to change it a little bit. Um I guess the issue that I feel like when, when everybody just does it themselves is that we basically, we silo ourselves. Like everybody just kind of silos in, insularly. Uh, as a big Nintendo fan, uh, as I am, I can tell you that following the Nintendo Rex all through the Wii U era, that there's a lot of people that are like, I don't Nintendo, Nintendo Direct doesn't matter to me. So like Nintendo gets t- Nintendo fans excited on Twitter and we make a lot of noise, but I'm not exactly sure that that information is reaching casual gaming fans that might own a Nintendo Switch. I, I hear that quite a lot on my own show. It's, you know, like I listen to your podcast to give me the news. Like I'm not exactly sure how much that might resonate. Whereas if these publishers, as much as they don't want to, I understand exactly what you're saying. They don't want to share the spotlight with each other. They're all competitors, but maybe just agreeing like, Hey, we'll own Monday. You own Tuesday. We'll own Wednesday. And collectively all three of us will get more attention together. If there's any space for any, like, is, is this just this utopian idea? that I have that that just doesn't exist anymore. I mean, it could be an interesting thing to do, but I think the major concern, like just a semantic concern of it is I'm not even sure that they'd be allowed to do that because the ESA probably still has these guys by the balls as far as doing anything like that. You you guys might recall that Ouya tried to set up outside (laughs) of E3 to avoid paying (laughs) E3 fees. And they got in a lot of trouble for, for doing that because like they got shut down basically by the ESA. The ESA parked buses in front of their space and did all sorts of weird, yeah. petty, passive-aggressive shit. But they're pretty serious about protecting like their brand. And if they're going to segue more to a consumer-centric show, and even Jeff Keighley doesn't want to do the show anymore, yeah. which is you know Jeff Keighley's a nice guy, so it's no disrespect to him. But like if he doesn't want to, you know, the kind of the happy warrior of the gaming industry doesn't even want to have anything to do with your show anymore. It seems to me that the the die is cast that they're at, yeah. they're at. Uh, 11:59 on the clock and this coronavirus thing just might have expedited the the inevitable but i like your spirit in the sense of yeah it, it does kind of suck like i I, dev, it, I it did force me to watch like xbox press conferences and 
the Nintendo conference and or like you know direct and whatever they would do and some of these di- different streams. But I don't know that that's necessarily the problem of the collective. I think that each of these companies have to kind of figure out how they're going to tackle that problem on their own, and and that might just have to do with marketing better. And also, I don't know that casual gamers even give a shit about some of this stuff. I mean, the, the if you read Twitter and Reddit and all that kind of stuff, you would think that Call of Duty is like the worst game in the world and no one cares about it. And But like that game sells 20 million copies a year and you would never even really meet anyone that necessarily played it. So who are they really aiming at? Is a Ghost of Tsushima direct or Ghost of Tsushima state of play really for the casual gamer anyway? I don't know. But it's something that they have to kind of tackle. And I think Tokyo Game Show and Gamescom are more like what they need to do in the future. But I think that these are unique events in the sense that they're um, they're inherently disgusting events, like they're disease-ridden events. People are touching the same controllers and yeah. putting on the same VR headsets. And I think that it's going to be hard to come back, even when coronavirus passes and the fear of it passes and just goes into the history books. I think it'll be hard for them to kind of go back. I mean, there was already that like genie back in the bottle. Concred was an already a thing that always got passed around yeah, on right. the podcast and everything. I heard. Mm-hmm. It seemed like every time all of you guys went out to E3, um, the podcast had special hosts for the, like the two or three <laughs> weeks afterwards. Cause everybody was like at home sick for a few days. Yeah, everybody has the PAX plague or the E3 yeah, flu. Yeah. That was always <laughs> yeah. a thing. Anyway, uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm going to miss it. I, I realize that that's the trend where it's going and I realize there's nothing I can do to stop it, but I'm going to miss being able to sit down for three days and kind of take it all in and celebrate gaming together as opposed to just this one hour of one game, you know, randomly throughout the year. Um, we had some questions for you, Colin, and uh, I'd sure. like to start. Um, I wanted to I wanted to to bring a somewhat of a hard hitting question um, kind of in spirit of following your journalism. And I just wanted before I ask a question, I want to tell you, I, I followed you for a long time. And I always really appreciated the way that you would tackle like hard to talk about subjects. And I feel like it's something in games journalism and uh, podcasting about video games a lot of folks don't do. And I think that's why you receive some of the heat that you do. Um, and, and I just want to let you know that I appreciate it. I, I've listened to you. I, I am a Patreon supporter of yours. So if any of our listeners are wondering, um, I have oh, been a you. supporter for a long time and I don't always agree with Colin, um, for a lot of things, like the, the Vita being better than 3DS for one of them. Um, but I, but I've always, <laughs> the market didn't agree with that either, <laughs> but I always really appreciate that when you take your stance, you support it and that you're willing to talk about, um, difficult subjects to talk about and like you're willing to cover it from multiple angles both angles both sides many different sides not always uh your side my side a lot of times just eight or ten different sides of the issues and uh, like personally like the last election i don't want to get all political i know like tis the season but like i really enjoyed following you and in, in detailing you know, people's voting records and, and how you saw different issues and stuff like I, I found it very informative and it didn't it didn't influence who i voted for but i i really enjoyed following along with it so uh in that spirit i wanted to bring what I consider to be somewhat of a hard-hitting question, and I just wanted to ask you, do you have any regrets uh, thus far, like with your past from IGN or Kind of Funny or Post Kind of Funny? Um, not necessarily all the, the topics that really like, you know, have got you some heat um, that you've talked about quite a bit. Um, but the reason I wanted to bring this up, one of my favorite episodes that you did was um, Fireside Chats with Damon, Damon Hatfield from IGN. And I love that episode so much because... Again, bringing up your your ability to bring both sides to the table, Damon was able to kind of speak freely about IGN's side or his view of IGN's side when Kind of Funny split. And I found it really refreshing because 
at the time, I felt like everybody was saying, you know, like the very nice, proper thing to say, like, we wish Greg and Colin and everybody all the best in the future and all the things and we love and like, and, and I, I found it really refreshing. He was like, you know, I really didn't like it that it wasn't, we're starting kind of funny. It's that we quit IGN and that like seemed to be like the, the viral headline. It's like, we quit IGN and we're, we're not doing that anymore. Games journalism. Now we're doing this new thing. And uh, so just kind of in that spirit and that refreshing thing, is there, is there anything that like when you think about like that, like Damon brought up, is there anything like that you're like, man, I, I, I really wish maybe I'd done that differently? Yeah, it's a good, good question, because in that conversation, as I recall, it was a long time ago, but um, big fan, you might recall that that I uh, thank you. But you might recall <laughs> that I refused to actually tweet that stuff out when we left. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think Damon and I talked about that on the show if not we should have but there was a i think greg or tim made like a you know we quit ign graphic and i refused to use it um because i was like well i first of all i was at ign a lot longer than all those guys were and i had uh i think a deeper connection to the site in that way and an appreciation for what i you know what they i was there for 12 years between my freelance and my being an editor so it was hard for me to relieve it was one of the most difficult decisions really the most difficult decision i ever made in my entire life and i'm glad i made it but i agree i wasn't down with that and it was a i don't want to say it was a problem but it was something that i voiced my disagreement with so that particular issue is not something i regret because i tried to voice a different side that we didn't really need to do it that way um but we did and it's fine it worked out but yeah, I have. I've, I don't know that I have any regrets as much as I wish that I just handled things or could have handled a few things differently. And I don't think I've really been treated fairly. Um, but I also think that I have exacerbated it a lot because I don't really like backing down because I don't really think I did anything wrong. Like sometimes right. you have to just cut your losses and just move on. And it's hard for it's hard for like people to revel in what they look at as your downfall. Um, now I wish everyone could have the downfall that I had over the last three years, but nonetheless, like that's the way some people look at it. (laughs) And it's hard to be like, you know, just like just shut the fuck up and just move on with your life and not have to fight every battle. (laughs) And before you know it, um, you know, I'm pretty isolated in my little corner of the internet, my little corner of the industry. And it's, it's tough sometimes because there are some people out there that don't like me very much that I had a lot of love for. And I don't necessarily know that it's, I don't know that it's up to me to have changed their minds. It was a little weird that they all kind of forgot who I was and who they're, I'm not just a character to these people. Like I was in their lives. I knew them. And so you can't help but like feel bad about yourself and for yourself even when that kind of stuff happens. But I definitely take responsibility for some of the things that I did to add into that toxicity. I just ask that people understand that when you're like the different sounding person in a group, yeah, um, that kind of stuff is going to stick out more and more. And I, I really am of the mind that the election of Donald Trump made the gaming industry go nuts. Mm-hmm. And I think you're still seeing it. I, I think it's really weird. And the way that people treated me, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with voting for Donald Trump personally. I've, I've said that a million times, mm-hmm. but I didn't. And so to be treated like I was just an outcast after being one of them for such a long time was really weird, especially because like it didn't just come out of left field. I had like a Ron Paul placard at my desk at IGN. There are videos of me in a Mitt Romney shirt on videos and we did a skit on it on up at noon uh, with that shirt and all that kind of stuff. And I found it 
disingenuous and weird that people threw me away like that. And I think that's the problem of it's hard to be called like a, a sexist and people even conflate that into like, you're a racist and a Nazi. And it's like, what, like, what are you saying? You know, like when did I ever treat anyone badly based on the color of their skin or their ideology or their religion or anything like that? I feel like I've been one of the more accepting people that you probably heard in the gaming industry about that, that different stuff. So that was tough. Absolutely. But I, I don't know. I can't change people's minds. And I, I think I had to learn sooner rather than later. And I wish I learned sooner that I probably should have just let some of that stuff go. Now, and I know CLS is absolutely killing it. And as one of your backers, I'm, I hope that it continues to do so forever. But I wanted to follow up that question with another question. Do you think you'd ever consider going back to an IGN or like, you know, like an equivalent outlet, like to, to pick up maybe where you left off one day? No, I don't think so. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that that would really make much sense. I mean, if IGN wanted to offer me, you know, half a million dollars a year to go be the editor in chief of the site or something, I don't think I would say no. But that I'm not going to go back and be like an editor in the trenches ever again. And I don't, I love what they do. I think there's like some good people over there still, including, like you said, Damon. And I have some good friends, you know, Ryan McCaffrey, some friends that were good. You know, I love those guys. And I sat across from Ryan for years, you know, and looked at him every day with my own two eyes. He's not just like some some cartoon character on the internet. So it's hard to like walk away from some of these dudes yeah. mm-hmm. um, and not really see them or talk to them too much anymore. But I also think we're just in two different silos and um, I don't know that there's much of a, there's no room really for that kind of stuff anymore. And they wanted me to stick around when I, when I left, they offered me a lot to stay and they want, you know, editor at large and all these things that I always wanted. And then I realized that it wasn't going to work out that times were just changing. And I'm really glad that we were able to see that times were changing because we left at the perfect time and we're really right. the Patreon That's success true. story, yeah. The, yeah. the first mm-hmm. one, you know? Very true. It's hard to do that now. You even see that with, you know, really talented guys like MinMax and some of these others that just left a little too late and they have their little niche, just like I have a niche too. It's not like I'm speaking to a million people, but it's just like, you know, you the timing was was really important. So I miss it there sometimes. I don't really miss my kind of funny days too much anymore just because I feel like that company was getting away from what I really wanted to do with yeah. it. And that's different for me. It That's a little more painful for me in some ways because I owned it and I founded it. But IGN is something that was really near and dear to me and for a really long time. So that was hard. So I, I would, but I think they would probably have some sort of coup, you know, or some, not coup, some sort of uh, uh, rebellion on their hands. <laughs> if I ever tried to even go back there, if they even tried to hire me again, they'd probably have a lot of problems with their staff, which is unfortunate because I'm not, this horrible person that I've been made out to be. But again, I can't, I can only like prove that with my content and my, my words and my actions. So, Absolutely. so yeah, it, I, you know, I, I doubt that that will ever happen, but if they want to offer me a ton of money to do it, I guess I would consider it. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. a capitalist. <laughs> yeah. Like Donnie said, like I've always been a fan of yours. Like you were the different voice and that was the one that I always kind of, you know, honed on. Like you were the one who I was listening to, like, yeah, I like what he's got to say. It's different. And you were never afraid to just be yourself. And that's always super important. So just thank you for doing that and always sticking true to yourself and standing up for what you believe in and not backing down. I think that's very important. No, you're welcome. I, I, I get a lot. Thank you for the kind words. And I get a lot of really nice messages from people all the time. The, the hate is and the vitriol is like easy to find, but there's a lot more love for Colin Moriarty out there. And there's, there's, 
there's no doubt. And a lot of people say it publicly and a lot of people say it privately. And I get really heavy messages from people and it's cool. It's great. It's, it's always nice to hear. I'm glad that people like the game talk and whatever, but I'm happier that I've had like some sort of positive effect and influence on people. And that's really cool because I don't know how long, not only do I not know how long I have on this earth, but I don't know how long I have in this industry. I don't, you know, people come and go just like professional athletes. Like, I don't know that I have a right to, I don't, first of all, I don't have a right to anyone's time or money ever, but people wane and, and Mm -hmm. taste change and new cats come in and they're the popular ones and you lose all that. And you, I want to make sure that I at least left it all out under the field and not sacrifice the, the, the market share and the the ears I and the eyes I have now to at least like affect some sort of change and be some sort of positive influence. And it doesn't always work. And I, I fail all the time at being a better person or saying the thing I needed to say. And I'm wrong about shit sometimes. And I think it's just important to own that stuff. And that's actually the thing that frustrates me the most is like the, this mischaracterization of, of me in terms of just like, he thinks he's always right. And it's like, I'm, that's really not true at all. We start our show with sacred symbols talking about all the things we were wrong about <laughs> right. the week before. <laughs> and we do and we do that as a rule. It's important to us. I was just sitting here yeah. thinking as you were talking about being misconstrued and, and people having their impressions of you. And I'm sitting here thinking like this is the guy that wanted to interview like Philip Mewson, like in person. Uh you did Colin was right with Jason Schreier, who you guys have often disagreements on, and then he, that happens all the time. And you constantly I don't know sure if you guys are talking to each other on podcasts, but I'll hear him say something that sounds like it's targeted at something you said, and I'll hear you almost reply. Um, so like, I can almost like piece the two together, but, um, as long as I've ever followed you and gosh, it's kind of like 10 or 13, 14 years now, it's been a really long time. Um, you've always welcomed, you know, um, friendly open debate. And, uh, and, and I always like that you seek that out. It's not, you don't surround yourself with everybody that thinks just like you, you go, I've got this opinion, but people don't agree with me. I'm going to go talk to them and, and learn more about that. And, uh, the, the world needs more of that. If anything, absolutely. That's how you got to do it. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I like doing it like that. And I don't know. I just don't need to hear people that, like I always say, like I'm a conservative person politically. Like that's why I listen to MSNBC and, and all of that kind of stuff when I watch TV or watch cable news or listen to podcasts that are more liberal. And I don't really need to hear like my own opinions regurgitated into my ears in order to make me feel like I'm right. Yep. And I'm often challenged and often find that I'm wrong about things when I think more carefully about them and, and I'm challenged from a different ideological point of view or whatever the case might be. So as long as that's coming through to the audience, I don't really care if it comes through to other people in the industry. It doesn't matter. I think we've proved that we don't really need... PR or other media to support us, you know, uh, Twin Breaker is going to sell better than a lot of games on PSN that have mm-hmm. PR behind them mm-hmm. and they have media friends and they're going to get reviewed by all the big, the big uh, outlets and all that kind of stuff. We don't really need it. And so as long as we keep the symbiotic relationship with our audience alive and well, I think that we'll be fine. And that's the beauty of not needing an IGN anymore, like me not needing to work there anymore, is that I can just talk directly to the audience. Yep. I don't need like some sort of middleman. And that's the way it's all that's the way it's going with every everything. It's the biggest you know, the uh Chapo Trap House guys on Patreon have a bigger reach than any of the cable news um channels do. And they're fan funded. So I think it's just that's just the way it's it's going. And that's I think it's great. Yep. So as we begin to wrap up, we just had one small last question for you. 
Did you ever imagine any of this when you were back writing guides for GameFAQs? No. Um, <laughs> there was a time when I, after I started going to Northeastern and I was just freelancing, there was a time where I was just like, this is a means to an end. Like the dream is, is dead. I'm never going to get into the industry. And I kind of, I was in the industry more than most people would be in it, but I, um, I was just like, ah, I'm just making good money doing this and having a good time. And I'm going to study history and go to grad school and be an historian and do whatever it is I do. And it really came out of nowhere. I mean, I got my job, you know, Greg and I used to make fun of each other because he applied like 13 times and I didn't apply at all. Right. <laughs> um, <Yep. laughs> they, they offered me a job when I graduated college and that changed the whole trajectory of my life. And I didn't anticipate it. And then even when I moved out, it was right before the financial crisis and I was waiting to get laid off like every day for three years and it just never happened. And so time just moved on and then we're 13 years later now from when I was hired full time at IGN. And no, I didn't anticipate that this was going to be the course that my life took, but I'm really grateful. I mean, it's been a real blessing for a lot of different reasons above no, nothing above the fact that I'm like my own boss and can really chart my own course. It's I, I understand. And we try to say this on the shows a lot. Like people get up every day. They a lot of people go to jobs they don't want to work. They deal with asshole people that treat them like shit at their retail job, or they work at a fast food restaurant, or they drive a truck and they're fucking bored to tears. And they go home and they're tired. And a lot of people just talk to them and about them with their content and the entertainment. Like they get their games for free and like they got to get up whenever they wanted to today and they got to play video games all day and stuff. And I, I just try not to lose sight of the fact that no matter how hard I work, that there are people out there that live real lives. They rely on me to bring some joy or entertainment or information to their lives. And I, I really am lucky because not everyone gets to do that. And People out there are put on a smile and a happy face and go and do their thing every day. And it is so much harder than what I do. And um, so no matter how much I bitch about all the hours I work and blah, 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 I'm not in a fucking coal mine with a black <laughs> lung. <laughs> you know, so I just I'm, I'm really grateful. And I had no idea that my life I thought I was going to be an academic. I didn't know that my life was going to go in this direction, but I'm really grateful. And so for every minute that it continues, I'll, I'll continue to be grateful. And if and when it goes away, I will have known that I did the best I could to be honest and forthright with the audience and to do the best I could to entertain them and, and put smiles on them fa their faces and make them laugh. I mean, people take themselves like way too seriously. And that's something that I never want to do. And our show is fucking <laughs> stupid. You know, it really, it's really Sacred Symbols is a dumb, profoundly stupid show. And I mean that in the best way possible. It's my show, so I can say mm -hmm. it. Yep. We'd, we want to keep it like that. And, and so that no one takes themselves too seriously and you never really know what's going to come out of our mouths. And we don't, we're not like some dorks in front of microphones that get mad about everything and can't take, we, you know, just make sure out there, you know, I, if I start taking myself too seriously, definitely check me because. Yep. That's that's going to be a big problem for for everyone involved. So yeah, I'm grateful and I'm thankful for this this course. Could have gone many different directions. Absolutely. Just want to thank you for your time, Colin. Thank you for just spending just an hour here with us. We really appreciate it. We just want to say we hope everyone enjoyed this special episode of a uh, PlayStation XP 
Um, check out our big Patreon announcements over at patreon.com slash PSVG and PSVG Prime this week. We've got a lot of updates on our newest team members, new shows, new Patreon exclusives, and of course, the plan for the PSVG house party may include some new swag. Mm-hmm. So I know you've got some stuff going on, Colin, with the announcement of the, the returning of the side quests and Let's Play. Um, do you have anything else you want to plug or let us know what else is going on with you? No, I mean, just Sacred Symbols and Sacred Symbols Plus go up every week. And if you guys want more PlayStation talk, you can and poop talk and whatever else we, we like to bring up on that show, you can always come. It's basically a scat show at this point. <laughs> and uh, you can basically come over and, and listen to that and have fun with uh, Chris and I. And yeah, Twin Breaker comes out soon on ps4 and vita it's cross by between the platforms and we're really proud of it it's my first game so i I would love people's feedback on what we did right and what we did wrong as we can continue to to narrow our focus and get better at what we do and yeah that's basically it And you can always follow me on social media no big deal but i'm not i i'm not a very natural self-promoter so that's about as best as i can do i think (laughs) excellent so thank you again for for joining us and with that long live play